Hey, this is Chris Hodges, founding producer of Floyd Fest. Hey, this is Jesse Bredo with Gravitas Recordings. Hey, this is Tom Hamilton from Ghostlight, and Joe Russo is almost dead. And you're listening to you're listening to and you're listening to Galaxy, Galaxy Jam reacts. It is time. Hey, hey, it's another glorious day. Why do you say? Because we're doing another edition of Galaxy Jams Reacts. Hey, it's just something I like to do, you know, something that brings me joy every day that I do it. Uh, Galaxy Jams Reacts, of course, a program where we listen to handpicked and fanpicked music along with uh, very special guests. Uh, I am EJ. Along here beside me is my friend and partner, Mike. What's going on? And we also have our special guests. Founding producer of Floyd Fest, Chris Hodges. How are you doing, Chris? I'm great. Hey, guys. All happy right. Happy Sunday. Yeah, happy Sunday yeah. to you. We're just three friends sitting down on a lovely Sunday evening listening to music together. Just hanging out. Uh, we're so excited to be able to listen to music together with you. There's just so much that like, I really want to ask you. You really throw one of the most prolific music festivals mm -hmm. in the country. You've made careers for national award-winning bands. Yeah. And uh, there's just so much I got to ask. So much. But the first thing that we have to know, Chris. This is important. That we have to know. Huge. Is what did you have for lunch today? <laughs> <laughs> I woke up famished and I went to Bojangles for some fried chicken. Man. Oh, <laughs> yummy. Fried chicken Sunday fried chicken. I mean, hey. <laughs> what kind of sides did you get? Uh, yeah. uh, okay. This, these are great questions, actually. I like to keep mm -hmm. it simple, you know. So I got. I got the regular fried chicken, a breast and a wing. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, I got the the Cajun fries and the coleslaw. All right, we're in the south here, so that's right. that's what I do. And then I do like a, a half unsweet sweet tea, man. Keep that sounds chill. really good. Yeah. What Delicious. about you? And I'll, yeah. What about you, Jay? Watching a Liverpool Manchester City soccer game while I was doing it. Nice. So you're just literally <laughs> just enjoying all of the senses right there. Yeah, man. You're just <laughs> feeding your earthly delights. Yeah. Well, oh, Sunday before the storm. <laughs> yeah, and that's what I do. I'm like, I'm doing something that makes me feel good, so I might as well just keep piling it on. <laughs> you know what I yeah. mean? Oh, man. What did you uh, eat for lunch today? Did you ever? I had a brunch eat? today. What'd you get? I did uh, the sausage biscuits. Sasha's biscuits hey. and gravy. Did you make it? I uh, no, I ordered it. Uh, it, it uh, oh man, I ordered from yeah, one place. And I ordered from one place and <laughs> screwed my order up, and then the other place I just ordered from. But what's cool about the place I ordered is it's like two biscuits. It's like when you say sausage and gravy biscuits, uh -huh. right? Two biscuits with sausage patties in them with sausage gravy. Nice. It was like overly sausagey, but it was delicious. That sounds good. And I'm sure I'll die by. You got the meat. You got the maybe meat four o'clock. Yeah, <laughs> it's like hitting a brick wall. Yeah. Yep. Here okay. we go. I, uh, Fall and winter start. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, just had some watermelon because I haven't had a chance to eat lunch uh, yet, so I'm probably going to eat way too much right after this. You know, we just yeah. want to know uh, what's powering this conversation. We want to know what's keeping this Fried thing going. Chicken. You know, fried chicken, Fried sausage, chicken. gravy, biscuits, and watermelon. Sausage, gravy, and yeah. Hey, it's, Boy, it's, we are we are Southern boys here. Southern man. boys, yeah. Doing our Southern like, thing that know, we like. We're to in do. Virginia, so we're we're still in there. You know. Yeah. So um, we're so excited. We got a great lineup of music mm -hmm. ahead of us. We're going to be listening to music by the Avid Brothers. Yeah. We're also going to be listening to music by Umphreys McGee. 
And then uh, we're also going to be listening to music by Kamasi Washington. Mm -hmm. But today we're going to start with a very special pick. Why don't you kick it off, EJ? Sure. Well, on April 18th, 1998, this band played a free live show in downtown Athens as part of their CD release party. The concert was filmed and released on DVD and CD as Widespread Panic. Of course, is the band did panic in the streets among, uh, according to the band, attendance was estimated at around a hundred thousand people. Oh my god! This in turn broke previous record by Metallica for largest record release party. The album reached a peak position of sixty-seven on the Billboard two hundred chart. Widespread panic. Uh, you like some widespread panic there, Chris? That's. Uh, I don't know if you know my history, but I was a panic head, spread head back in nineteen ninety. One, when they were playing Athens, the Georgia Theater, and that's when I actually, (laughs) we used to get our freak on, (laughs) and I learned how to dance and let go, like all good hippie jam band, you know, situations should be, and yeah, I went to Six Flags, uh, their shows there, they did the polo fields out there. I love Widespread Panic. They were one of my biggest uh, jam influences, for sure. Were you able to make it to the CD release party? That was a little bit later in 98. That was about the time period I dropped out and lived on a commune for three years and became just a completely immersed hippie with a mentor who's an ethnomusicologist in Floyd, where I ended up. This guy was a brilliant musician, luthier, poet, freak man, uh, comedian, among other things. So that time frame, I kind of dropped out for about three or four years. Yeah, they've been a really, really long-standing band that's endured the test of time, for oh, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 Love Widespread Panic. Well, while we just get on into it, this is uh, from the album Light Fuse and Getaway 1998. This is Porch Song by Widespread Panic here on Galaxy Jams Reacts. I love that uh, album art. It looks like, almost like anime-ish. I think it's like a flaming frisbee or something. Oh, no, it's a firework. You know that, that club Zanzibar, like somewhere in, where is that, Arkansas or something? Similar. Sonny's percussion, always awesome. Yeah, I love how they turn him way up. Sunny rocks You hear that crowd. They're ready. Got no corn, got no money. Bear tennis shoes to last me. I paid her for an outdoor pool. You got cats to help me pass the day. I'm falling in real 
I love how they're really taking their time. It's chill, man. That's what I always love about Panic. Steady and chill. Yeah, they're they're really good at just chugging along. Yeah, man. It's got that southern twang to it. Love it. Let's go. Kind of sounds like the Grateful Dead, too. This part. At the foundation of all good jam. And there's that classic group. Man, what a great lead. I love the sound of his guitar, and I love right. the sound of widespread panic. It totally goes fine with that sausage and gravy, fried chicken and biscuit, watermelon on the side uh, lunch that we had. <laughs> yeah. I, it just settles right in there. It just settles it. Dude, it was taking me back to those times when I would find Michael soaring guitar yeah. the solos. His, he has this wonderful tone. Tone oh, yeah. is crucial. Yeah. Tone is crucial. And he, he, yeah, that just took me right back, man. Yeah, stuff. and he sounds so confident. You know, he's literally stepping up to the plate. They have like this, what, like two and a half minute intro in front of this rabid crowd that's like ready to go. Mm -hmm. And it's so hard because when you play in front of that many people that have that much expectations, you have like this tendency to want to overplay and yeah. overcompensate and, you know, rush. And for a band like that has been playing together that long when they're playing in front of that many people, especially when they know that it's going to be cut into a record at that time, for them to be able to just literally like slow and take their time and come in i think mm -hmm. is like such a hallmark of a great organization amen well said yeah I mean, truly um, truly well said thank you chris do you remember when was the first time you heard of widespread panic me um i was living in atlanta good friend singer in a band that i was in called dead pins actually it was kind of like a, a bizarre seattle style kind of psychedelic thing not mainstream like Pearl Jam and that, but it was the more underground psychedelic kind of sound. Uh -huh. And he was dating a sorority girl, believe it or not. This is 1990, 91 in uh, Athens, Georgia, where Panic, you know, their hometown there, I guess, right? Mm -hmm. um, 
and we went to the Georgia Theater. They turned me on to them, and I was just getting into The Dead about 90 as well. Yeah. So it was a perfect segue. I was like, oh, my God, this is badass. And being a drummer percussionist, you know, Sonny, as we were saying earlier, and, and the drummer, man, they just it had a great groove, great groove. So that, that that's how I got introduced, man, just by, by virtue of the Grateful Dead-esque into Panic and my geographical location right next to Athens, Georgia. Did you go to Athens much back in that in that time? I went and saw Panic every opportunity I possibly could once I got hooked on it. There was a that little took me too. Yeah, there was yeah. a little bar that was uh, near that area that uh, was called the Manhattan. Did you ever go there? Yes, of yes. course. That yes. place is so awesome. It is just this dive bar, and it has really cool old vintage furniture in it. And my favorite thing was is they're slinging, you know, kind of low to mid tier beers, and they're slinging like cocktails and stuff. But if you want something to eat, you can get White Castle sandwiches, hot White Castle burgers. <laughs> yes, it was like yes. four, it was like four burgers for a dollar. <laughs> That's when we were we were consuming the old LSD in a little in little quantities. So yeah, yeah. I, I still I still remember that we would do that whole circuit. It was yeah, that great was a, times, man. That was Panic a fun was little a great bar. soundtrack. Yeah, yeah Chris, yeah, uh, you mentioned that you played in a Seattle psychedelic rock type of band. When you were playing yeah. music, what kind of music did you listen to at that time that influenced like the sound that you were going for when you were playing? What were your favorite bands during that era? Interesting, you know, um, definitely, you know, the normal stuff like traffic, you know, of course, and mm -hmm. Allman Brothers seem to be in, in tandem with like uh, um, uh, Jane's Addiction and right. Mother, Lo Mother Love Bone and that kind of sound. And, you know, mm -hmm. um, Black Yuhuru, you know, these were the these were the vibes around uh, Bob Marley. Um, yeah. That that was the whole consumption about that time. And Jane's Addiction, I remember when they when that first album, uh, Nothing Shocking, I guess, came yeah. out, or mm -hmm. and Mr. Bungle, and Mr. I mean, they Bungle. were all, oh yeah, all those like those weird psychedelic yeah. kind of bands that were coming out. That you know, and then of course Lollapalooza started not mm -hmm. uh, you know long after that. And Hor thing, Horde so. Fest was not long after that, which Horde Fest, which yeah. I did as a circus troupe. Uh, oh. I was part of that circus troupe on the. On the drums and the parade and the dancers and nice. uh that was cool that was cool we did the whole circuit and we would play with you know all the, uh, the who was on that tour colonel bruce was on that tour uh, and Blues Bela traveler Fleck, yeah Lewis traveler i think fish joined a few morphine um morphine i don't think yeah. morphine was at it, they were up north i think and I, I did the whole southern uh, okay yeah they, well they came i was in north carolina they came to north carolina so i know okay then I maybe i was there dude i can't remember they're, that they're, was dave fry I think did that was the promoter one of the promoters behind that he right, was one of the right. dudes locking. I think so too. Yeah. 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 yeah, that's a very very cool insight. I remember I was at All Good in 2010 when I first uh, saw Widespread Panic and I just remember thinking that you wow. know like it wasn't something that I normally would listen to but god damn it like they just have such a a psychedelic wink mm -hmm. to them, you know, where it's like they're a Southern rock band, like on paper, but when mm -hmm. you actually listen to it, they just rip so hard. And I was just like, widespread MF panic. I'm yeah. with it, you know? And right then I just started listening to a bunch of their stuff and they just shred, you know? And it's, uh, I love when bands do a good job of cornering different genres and like making them the Titans of like whatever they're doing. And I think mm -hmm. that for what widespread panic does, like they're really the Kings of like that psychedelic Southern rock with like, you know, like that steady train sound. And, uh, they really do a great job. 
And they really stuck out amongst other jam bands, too, because, right. I mean, the guitar the tone, like you were talking about, the singing, uh, it was definitely, I mean, you hear them and you know they're widespread panic. They and there's a lot a of other jam sound. bands, like you'll hear, you know, four or five different jam bands their own. Some of them are like, oh, I can't really tell, is it this or is it this person? But you know what widespread panic is, just like you'd know what fish is. Or, right, you know, right. They have hey, man, the Titans, who are they? Yeah. It's like the Grateful Dead, Fish, Widespread Panic, um, yeah. mostly. Then you have String Cheese and Mo and these other bands that kind of yeah. float up underneath. But a lot of these younger jam bands nowadays, and why I picked a lot of songwriters that dawned on me, listen to with you guys um or whatnot is because you know i think panic they do these bands do great jobs at songwriting as well i think that's lacking mm -hmm. in a lot of the new jam uh bands where they do all kind of sound the same and they put the content and the, the depth of the lyrical right. part of it aside and it's just like okay we all kind of sound similar and it's like yeah, they don't. It. They don't Panic put as much. In, has a unique. Yeah, they don't put as much into the you know melodies of the singing or the style of singing mm. or no, which I, I love. Yeah, you know personally, even Jerry Garcia, yeah. Robert Hunter. You know, I mean, the the depth of his songwriting was just as powerful as the solos and extended jams. Exactly. Yeah, and like I think that's a great point to say because it's the hallmark of a good band to leave behind a really big legacy. And one thing that really good bands leave behind as a legacy is other bands that are trying to emulate or you know work on the sound that they created. And so I feel like mm. when you have a band like the Grateful Dead, right, and then you have a band like Fish, like the lower down, you know, uh, the lower in the food chain that you get, the more you're going to see people kind of repeating it because you have like Grateful Dead and they spawn like a million bands that sound like them but then you have a band like Fish that kind of took that thing but did their own thing and it's kind of like that so I do understand when bands can get formulaic because they see a tried and true method to achieve success and they try to do everything they can to kind of fall you know it's I kind of look at it the way that when jam bands all together have the same sort of schedule when they play and that it's like a 90 minute first set and mm -hmm. then they take a break and then it's like a 90 minute second set and then they take a break and then it's like a 10 minute encore uh, not a lot of genres really do that on top of jam bands you know and so and i feel like that's because it's like uh they do it because that's like the best way to, de to deliver it and it's also with their equipment i noticed that a lot of jam bands use the same kind of guitars and the same kind of drum setups and it's like they're copying all of the same tools so it's not only just like the music that they're playing but also the tools and then the the time that they're delivering it you know in terms of their program i think is so interesting the way that that kind of just keeps going with bands that uh, other bands are being influenced by you know yeah the electronic element seems to be more and more pervasive too um oh yeah thinking about setups and what you're saying you know personally i like i love a hammond b3 and just you know some mm -hmm. some old school tried and true instruments but then you think about some of this other stuff you know and the electronic elements that that are being added a lot of bands are doing that nowadays and that's becoming the norm yeah right? jamtronica um, yeah man and i saw goose so i don't know what how you guys feel about goose i saw them at red rocks and i've had them at floyd fest before i just had to go see them again and i have to say they did a damn good job kind of with a fresh little fresh twist to it i was oh yeah i, I enjoyed that show man good set 
Yeah, they're definitely trying to make a mark for themselves and trying to put themselves out uh, amongst the crowd. Uh, Blackbeard1680 actually just talked about Goose. Just saw Goose recently. Uh, thoughts on their breakout as a leader in the jam scene? Well, we just kind of talked about that. Yeah, I think that they just have a really... I think that the difference between a good band and a band that's forming a legacy is the team behind them. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know they, oh, yeah. have, they have the team behind them because you, know, you can go into a bar and listen to a million amazing musicians. That's like so amazing. But the thing that separates the amazing musicians from the ones that you hear about is marketing and teamwork. Not only the band, I think the Billy Strings, right? That's yeah. another one. I think Billy his Strings. team, you know, is just they did it perfectly right. Um, because uh, girl living in Virginia, I listen to a lot of bluegrass, or I've studied it. I've had to study it by virtue of where I right, am. Right, right. Billy does a great job, but at the end of the day, it's bluegrass, and I mean, there are some bluegrass pickers. Like Tony Rice, for instance, and and I mean, just like other cats, Billy's <laughs> team is woo, two thumbs up, boys. Yeah, exactly. Because you know how many guys with a guitar are there out there? A billion with a B, right? But how yeah. you know? But Billy Strings is a, a guy with a guitar, ones. right? But the reason why he's more than just a guy with a guitar is you know not only because of his talent, but because of the great team behind him. He's highly skilled, but yeah, the team behind him is just really really a, a, a huge factor in that all right i think well, he knows that i think i just saw a post recently you know from him or goose or something thanking their squad and their team yeah and you notice that when they do that they generally go through like even like the merch person is like someone that's like yeah. so even every part it's not like there's just one or two head honchos and it trickles mm-hmm. down to like whoever's gonna volunteer right like every single piece of the puzzle is like on purpose and i feel like it's the dream same thing with makes w- the dream work baby right and it's the same thing that when <laughs> you throw music festivals right uh, you know like you have it's to the be- same thing that's what i was thinking about yeah you have to be just as tight with the person that's standing in the field directing where the cars are going to park mm-hmm. as you have to be with the person that's directing the people on stage to play on time. It all has yeah. to be this like clockwork and it takes a lot of trust. Right? And all those people are pieces that form the brand. Right. Yeah. Amen, man. And trust is the big thing. How do you develop that? You be humble, you're confident, you're direct, you allow others to make decisions, delegate all these wonderful things. And you show care, I think, you know, as teamwork, you have to care about it. And I think the Billy Strings or a festival or Goose, man, these people love these these homies and this music scene. Mm-hmm. You got to love it, man. And yeah, it develops Absolutely. good teamwork. Let's get back into the song, uh, Widespread Panic, Porch Song from Light Fuse and Get Away. about loving music and, and JB in the earlier reminded me of Joe Cocker the same kind of like ah! he loves it oh yeah he loves it Hell 
my god, dude. It's like prolific right there. crazy they just know how to just like keep ratcheting it up yeah it's yeah like yeah perfect. it's like the slow rise nice that they're showcasing every member in this particular track. It just ends there because it goes to the next track, probably. Oh, yeah. Mm. Man, can you imagine being at that show? How great that would have been. Dude. Incredible. It's taking me right there, yeah. man. It's I can taking see me the right crowd. there. I can see the crowd. Mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm. Panic has a very deep place in my heart. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah, definitely. That was uh, a good one, you know? I mean, th what I really like about Widespread Panic is that they're, they're so good at... I don't remember what it's called, but there's like this certain kind of sound where it keeps going infinitely, right? Mm -hmm. So instead of like a normal band where it like goes up and then down and then up and then down, Widespread Panic seems to have mastered that equation of like going up and then like peaking again and then peaking again and mm -hmm. they can just keep going like forever you know they and keep it's, the energy up a long time yeah, yeah. exactly because then when you think like oh a normal band right now would like chill out and like go for a lull they're just like nope like here comes the guitar or here right. comes the keyboardist and so, then it's like they keep so going how did around. they develop that mm, i think that what, like what 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 influenced that i don't know you know it's they probably no, just it's playing like, together you get dudes together yeah exactly those guys know how to play together yeah, it's interesting. Yeah. It's so hard, and I think that's what makes a great band. These particular characters just kind of magically <laughs> come together, and like, oh, we can do this. It's yeah. wild. It's wild to think about because that's really rare. Like you were saying, yeah. Instead of just the let's just peak, come down, peak, come down, peak. Panic just just, just it's like water, man, like the ocean. 
Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, that's a really good way. I'm glad that you said that because we listened to music a few weeks ago with Russell Lawton from Trey Anastasio Band. And when we were listening to mm-hmm. Goose, he commented that one thing that he really liked about Goose was that they're a band, right? Mm-hmm. And that they don't step on each other's toes and they all like know how to work together. And it's really, really rare to find that where you have like a group of people that's all like in the room. And, you know, because the thing is like your music, it's like not just the only thing. It's like personal too, right? And it bleeds through with the music music like if you guys are fighting especially when you're doing improv you know like how your day went is all factors that go into like what you're going to put in there and how the band is going to react together and so uh it really seems that they were a unit and it's like you know when you're living and breathing the thing like everyone can tell and that's why they want to jump in and get inspired amen no egos underwater speaking of the unit aquarium rescue yeah Yeah. i love that track colonel bruce there is no egos underwater that's that's what's me, I, I, I stopped touring and I give it up for these guys. It's a really special, unique thing for some of these bands to get together. But it's for that very reason, not being able to find that perfect group of like egoless, like badasses that want yeah. to work together. Right. Musically. Yeah. All this right. industry breeds a lot of. A lot of weirdness. Egos <laughs> definitely bring problems. Yeah, especially hey. like, when you get bigger. Like, um, we sometimes listen to Snarky Puppy, and that's like forty people that yeah. have all won Grammys. And one thing that I'm always so curious about is how do you like get that many people with that with that much talent and that much, much accomplishment to like still work together and like make yeah. it sound great? It's like hard cool cats. Because if you're like, hey, you're not playing that note right, maybe you should play it that right. They're like. I won four Grammys. Don't talk to me. You know what I mean? (laughs) So how do you, who's the person that's like telling them like, you know, the critique, like how does that all work? You know, it's so fascinating, especially when you have a big group uh, that's, that's doing that. Self-esteem goes very far. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So uh, we're going to be jumping to our next song and we're going to be listening to Kamasi Washington. Are you familiar with Kamasi Washington, the jazz saxophonist, uh, Chris? Yes. Uh, why don't you tell me how you first heard of him? Gosh, I can't even remember. I can't recall how I first heard of him. Um, have you ever seen I him have. play live? I don't know if I have. I don't think I have. What about you? Where did you come across? I've just been seeing him pop up over and over again. You know, I've seen him sit in and do music Same. with people like Herbie Hancock mm-hmm. and Lauren Hill and Nas, Snoop Dogg, Run the Jewels, uh, George Duke. And then also I saw that he uh, his band did uh, a Metallica song, My Friend of Misery, that was like a charity tribute album by Metallica, which mm-hmm. I thought was so cool. And it's just so interesting. I love when people can fit into so many different molds like he can you know like i mentioned like lauren hill who's like a whole thing and then you have run the jewels which is like that's what i'm wondering if he was with lauren at floyd fest i'm trying to you got me stumped on when i first saw him or heard him yeah yeah because he's all over the place i think yeah Yeah, but what made me pick uh him for the show is because uh we listened to music with jason hand from the string cheese incident we listened to this song Mm. called zombie which uh they did a cover of on at huluween and he played with them uh and i watched that video and i was like oh my god this guy zombie the the fela cootie track yeah 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 oh yeah oh my god you were the one that sent that track you're right that sparked like this whole conversation i totally forgot and just in that short amount of time that you did that (laughs) yeah so uh yeah and it's so crazy that they covered that song and i didn't know that 
Right. And nice. Then, what String Cheese did? Yeah, String Cheese yeah. covered that song with uh, Kamasi Washington uh, is sitting Dude, in with perfect. that. So, perfect. man, I love when things uh, go full circle with that. So, uh, yeah, man. We're just, uh, EJ. Yeah, that was really cool uh, that you gave a lot of the backstory on that as well because they, uh, you know, Jason didn't know that. And, and we read that to him and he was like, this is great to know. Yeah, uh, the backstory. It, yeah, the backstory behind that song is crazy, and uh, it's really, really amazing that you were able to, you know, we had a really good conversation about that song. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. Uh, you know, uh, I'm gonna send you the video when it's done. Uh, so uh, we're just Please. three friends listening to music on a gorgeous Sunday afternoon. We're here with our very special guest, Chris Hodges, the creator and producer of Floyd Fest. Mm-hmm. We're listening to Kamasi Washington from his 2018 album Heaven and Earth. This is Street Fighter Moss right here on Galaxy Jams Reacts. Mm. Like those compressed drums. Kind of sounds like Wolfpack. Mm. Uh huh. God, that's like so wet. Ooh, it's like no R almost. <laughs> Rename that sausage and gravy base. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, all right. The video seems high budget too. Music's high quality. It's like right out of it. Oh yeah, me too. I like I just like whipped my head around. Like what just happened? (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Alto sax, right? Oh, yeah, it sounds like it. Number 99. Anyone who can rock an alto or soprano make it sound good. trombone (laughs) 
Bone. Fell in love with it with Scott. Yeah, Fred Wesley. I love how rock steady those drums are. Really like this song so far, and uh, just uh, the the jazz elements of it, and then that, the choir. It sounds almost like it's from the '60s. You know, like the mm-hmm. '60s songs that would have that that certain sound. '50s or '60s had that certain t- tone to those like vocals that are like the chorus vocals. Mm-hmm. Um, really, really, really liking it. And that, as far as video, it's very cool as well. What do you think, Mike? I love how it's a stunning intersection between genres because mm-hmm. I love how, like you said, it has such an old sound to it, but then they have like really, really highly curated modern sounds, mm-hmm. like those keyboards and those space noises and the swooshies, and also like really modern elements in songwriting as well. It kind of reminds me of like a James Bond noir theme, yeah. and uh, I'm really digging it. What do you think, Chris? What does it make you think about? I love the way you describe stuff, and, and I agree. The contrast of the old school vibe and the new kind of elements really makes great art, great music. Um, you know, listening to jazz, I love jazz music. I studied it really hard for a, a minute, and he doesn't make it sound cheesy, you know, right. which some some jazz is, and they try to integrate it or whatever into like you know R and B or funky sounds or whatnot. Mm-hmm. Um, this this dude does it very well. The tone of his, I think it was an alto sax, sounded brilliant. Mm-hmm. Um, it was reminding me of like a you know Pharaoh Sanders just passed recently. Yeah, if you know, yeah. Um, and just yeah, that that old vibe, but hip man and cool. And mm-hmm. I like the rock steady, and he can just go with it. And it's just a good vibe, good groove. Yeah, and I like that you mentioned jazz because I think that jazz and prog rock are those two genres where it's like really, really hard to dive deep without like sounding pretentious about it. And so just yes. like with prog rock, you know, like it's hard to find a really good prog band that like can do it, but like they sound like it has meaning and it's not like so sterile. And it's like the same thing with jazz, right? I mean, it's hard because some people can sound like very 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 like self-indulgent about the whole entire yeah and so to practice easy exactly not a cool cheese right right exactly <laughs> and so to practice the genre and become a master at it is also like to you know find yourself within the constraints of it and how to maneuver around it while still you know maintaining your own personality through the music while and serving the music while not being like too uh uppity about it you know and i feel like Amen. they do a, they do a good job here in bringing those elements while like still keeping like a chill groove that like a normal palate could listen to right michael i have to ask man you're so uh well spoken and and thoughtful on your understanding of music what got you so deeply into music man oh god uh i think that really what got at me was a event called camp barefoot uh which is run by a gentleman named scott mcclain yeah i went to it yeah yeah i went to it eight years in a row and uh, when I wow. was there, uh, I went from, I started like my band. And so I went from watching a band playing and saying, I could do that to playing Sunday on the side stage, you know, when no one was there to uh, playing Friday, you know, like the after party, like the late night. And so during that time when I'm like doing my band and, uh, you know, I'm going to so many different shows and I'm like watching it, I'm seeing all these different guys and these people, you know, trying to make it in music industry in so many different ways. Like it's really right. making 
made me think of like the whole entire thing, you know? And uh, that's really, it's just my experience, like booking my band, playing, going to different shows. Oh, uh, we're called Galaxy Dynamite. Well, we were, but now uh, we call ourselves Galaxy Jams and we play live on this channel sometimes. Oh, and so uh, Galaxy Jams reacts comes from you know it's our band Galaxy Jams, and then this is another cool. program where we react yeah. to music. So Ooh, it's like man. that. Cool, cool. What do you play? I'm a drummer. You're a, that's right. I think we talked about this. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Uh, drums are where it's at, man. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. I always say a band is only as good as the drummer. Uh, I agree because the thing is it's like the energy right and so like when people yeah. are like I think it's like a tribal thing people like react to the beat right and so you need like the engine right the car can only go as far as the engine you can do it. whatever kind of you want to but if there's a really good soloist over top then yeah you got it made but and, the drums man and that's why I mentioned rock steady because I know as a drummer especially when I'm playing a high profile gig or in front of a lot of audience like I want to do a million fills and go a million miles an hour and it's so like to listen to a drummer play the same thing for like five and a half minutes people don't understand like how impossible that is you know what i mean <laughs> thank to, you for that thank be, you for that exactly to be able to like you know hold yourself back and add like those tiny tiny little things like you're hitting the snare subtleties just are much more effective exactly yeah. exactly and then like being like the position of your band which is like being like the bedrock and holding everything up it's like it can be really difficult and that's why especially during that widespread panic song i'm like you know like it was hard in the beginning they had to like show such restraint because like you just want to as a band like just go off to the, when the starting gun goes off you want to start in a sprint and it's really really <laughs> hard to like you know like step on stage in front of all those people and like hold yourself back yeah, man. That's why I love Goose's drummer. I can't remember the dude's name, but he's a great drummer in this in the rising scene of jam. They all do a good job. Truly. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, jump back in. I'm loving this video. Oh my God, (laughs) they're playing Street Fighter. (laughs) It sounds so haunting with that bass part, so dope. Yeah, this this is thick. Like how the drums is getting just a little bit busier. 
love it. <laughs> I love about getting down. Awesome, awesome. Sweet. That's pretty epic, okay? I feel like that's my life here lately. <laughs> I want to put another quarter in, man. Yeah, let's do it. Seems like he ends up like becoming like the ultimate boss to beat in the Street Fighter Challenge. Yeah. In this yeah. video. Amen. And yeah, you know, it's especially like we were talking about like jazz and like how it can kind of veer into the pretentious. And I think that like, a you know, someone that's well known in the jazz circles, like Kamasi doing something like this, where he's bringing in like Street Fighter, like an old school arcade mm -hmm. game. It's a risk, you know, and I feel like a lot of people like it's hard to like get a whole team on board with things like that you know a whole team and it's like awesome that his team was able to you know get on board with such a silly fun thing and also make it serious and you know moving at the same time he is the brand he better have a voice yeah <laughs> all right well uh we're gonna be listening to a very very special pick by our special guest chris hodges founder and producer of floyd fest right after this So, uh, Avid Brothers, you know, I came across this guy, these guys, and this particular track. It was at Merle Fest down in uh, Wilkesboro, North Carolina, back in the day, and, yeah. and in Floyd, Virginia. You know, we listened to a lot of string music, man. I mean, hell, I'm a drummer, uh, and moving up in the deep hills of Floyd, you know, I, it, it took me a minute to get into the string music thing because I'm like oh, a drummer. Where's the drums, man? But right. We've been talking about jazz and everything. It's like when you first hear like a really well executed jazz track coming from like rock and roll or whatnot, and you're uh -huh. like, oh my, it, it blows your mind. Yeah. And you finally get it. And the same thing was true when I finally heard string music. It was Doc Watson. Um, and uh, just one day, it, just, it finally hit me. You know, I was like, oh, whoa, whoa. And it just, it floored me. So having Floyd Fest in, in the rural hills of, of, Appalachia up there off the Blue Ridge Parkway or whatnot. Um, you know, I started studying string music, but I was looking for that punk rock element in it. And when I heard, and I knew it was out there, it had to be. And I was at Merle mm -hmm. Fest, and it was a cabin stage off of the main stage there. And these guys, the Aver Brothers, and I heard little rumblings. This was a long time ago. This was like early 2000s, probably. Yeah. And when they hit the stage, it was a perfect mix of stage presence you know authenticity in in, in their in their um uh, execution and they weren't the most technically proficient cats and their strings were busting everywhere right but the 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 power of what they were saying is folk appalachian musicians <clears throat> it just nailed it so yeah i brought them up they came up and played for for, for free for me that first year as part of like this on the rise kind of thing happening and i think i had alani defranco or something and they were like yeah we'll come up we'll we'll play you know support for her developed a great relationship with these guys so they have a, a really cool place in my heart not only musically but personally and professionally they're just great great organization mm -hmm. 
strong words from Chris Hodges, the founder and producer of Floyd Fest. We're going to be listening to the Avid Brothers from their 2006 album, Four Thieves Gone, the Robbinsville Sessions. This is Talk On Indolence right here on Galaxy Jams Reacts. It does sound like a punk band. I like that rawness, you know? I look for that. No matter the stuff. So strong. It just feels good. Easy. One thing I liked about the Avid Brothers so much, uh, especially when I've seen them play, like I think I think I've seen them about three or four times, um, is their energy and their passion that they have behind the music. When you see them on stage, they are there. They're there to sell themselves. They're not just sitting there playing. They are are giving it all every time, every single time, giving it all. And their interaction between each other on stage mm-hmm. and um, and with the rest of the band, we see their full band and everything too. It's uh it's incredible uh sight to see and the songs they produce and the and the, uh, the sonic net they weave I guess you could say is just incredible to experience and if you haven't experienced it I suggest you do so. Yeah, I've had a chance to see the Avid Brothers a few times mm-hmm. and uh, I really like what you were saying, EJ, because that's one thing I was thinking of when we were listening was that it's a total force of nature. Mm-hmm. If you look on paper on what we're listening to, right? It's just you got like what two guitars and vocals and then like someone with like a little drum thing in the back, right? Well, it's usually even one of them with just like a kick drum and they're doing right. it while they're it's playing. It's really you know? not that much on mm-hmm. paper, but when we're listening, like it fills out the sound so much. Mm-hmm. We were listening to Widespread Panic. That's like a million people on stage with like a million things going on, right? 
right? But then you listen to this, where it's just two guys like literally belting their all. Like I feel like their whole soul is coming out into this performance, mm-hmm. and it just goes to show that you don't need so many fancy tricks and so much, you know, like great post production and you know a million dollars of equipment, and all you need is just a good song and a passion mm-hmm. behind it. And it really, really falls through, you know, with this song in particular because I feel like, especially in the beginning, right? They're like doing this kind of spoken word fast thing to kind of but gear you up. Exactly. And then, so, and it's kind of just like, what's going on? And then they just deck you right in the face yeah. with just absolute fury. You know what I mean? And it's like, I love it because it's like showing two sides of them. And you're right. It does have like a punk rock sentimentality in that it's so raw and it's so real and it's so regal. And they just like, don't care like what people say. They're just doing what they want to do. So this is a really, really good first pick, Chris. We really appreciate uh, you bringing this to us. And uh, you mentioned that uh, they were a part of the On The Rise. Can you give me just a little bit of why? Because On The Rise and Floyd Fest uh, all together is really all about like a tastemaker of like what's to come, right? And so where did you find yourself for the first time, you know, filling the shoes as a tastemaker? When was like the first time you saw that a band that you helped to gain recognition actually it came through for them? Uh, when was the first time that happened and what did that feel like for you? Um, definitely happened with the Aber brothers. That's why I love using them or referencing them or utilizing that, that relationship that I've had with them. Um, and that was in 2007 or eight. No, it was before that. It came like in 2005, four or something. And, and I saw they were quickly going. And that was the first one. I was like, okay, yeah. And you know, backing up, you know, being a musician, realizing I didn't want to be a touring musician. Personally, I, th- I found my strength being in the support role mm-hmm. more so. And I love music. I love playing drums and definitely love live performance. But I knew just for me personally, I wanted to be a supporter of all these amazing artists out here that don't understand the business. <laughs> they don't, they're, 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 they're whole, their creative minds can't quite understand the steps necessary to the business element, which is just as much of an art Yes. do it and if we want to support these wonderful artists and 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 have these wonderful opportunities to see and listen to all these wonderful artists i made it a mission of mine to start a festival that could support up and coming artists obviously you want to put a few you know top level names but the the real impetus behind it the real drive for me was to help artists who couldn't help themselves man um, or at least be a conduit for that so that was really a huge purpose behind floyd fest was to help up-and-coming artists uh, it used to be called under the radar um was the first few few years i think that's what the abits were under there was the under the radar thing um and i just noticed there were all these bands uh that i wanted to help one two you know they weren't going to sell many tickets <laughs> so i needed to figure out a way to integrate them into an audience that was coming you know, to see the headliners, you know, and give them right. an opportunity because I know that's huge for bands having an audience, you know, because you can play to the same 50, 25 people in bars all you want. It's really, oh, it's really difficult that yeah, route. So being a festival promoter, it was great to have a stage for these these artists. So I'd, I'd, I'd say the Avits in like 2000 and I, th- I want to say they came in 2005 for Ronnie DeFranco. And then by 2007, uh, I brought them back to, uh, uh, this Capital City Carnival that we did with P Funk <laughs> up in uh, DC, 
we did this huge festival up there um and it, it was like yeah all right this is the right direction the avids were the first sure Thank you so much for that insight. You know, I do agree with you, Chris, that a lot of musicians make the mistake of thinking that the creativity has to stop with the music. And in fact, you have to arguably be even more creative with your branding and your marketing than the music in order to make it happen. It's a huge, yeah. it's a huge part of it, man. And, uh, you have to understand there's an art to everything. Right. right. And uh, I think that one of the thing, the bands that I keep going back to about that is the Grateful Dead, because you look at all the branding that they have. They have what? A turtle, a skull, roses, roses yeah. right? And it's all, it's not by accident. This wasn't all by accident. It happened on purpose because uh, they all like decided like the different symbolism and all the different brandings. And that's why they're like one of the biggest bands of all time is not really by accident. And it also runs itself branding. to the music. Exactly. Exactly. And so- dead the whole premise of it coming out of the psychedelic era of the man it's perfect yeah definitely and i feel like uh you know if more bands looked towards the inspiration like that you know i feel like they would be a lot more successful because they would see like mm -hmm. the other side of what it takes other than making a good record is making Amen. sure that people listen to it mm -hmm. and that's so the hardest right, thing man. too is the business behind music is the hardest thing right i mean making the music and everything that's the most fun thing uh, until you embrace the the branding and and doing the marketing for the band and and trying and to the come tours with administration and right. teams and blues yes. badur, badur. and it's yeah, all it's important huge. it's just as important as a good song it's just as important as a good look it's well you're building a business yep that's essentially what it is and, and if, you, if you shy away from that then you're gonna fail right yeah and, and speaking to that real quick not to belabor the issue but i, I saw a thing with uh, uh brian cranston years ago it was a lecture and he was talking about being an artist uh -huh. what it is to make it you know and he's like mm -hmm. what are you gonna do you're just gonna say i'm an artist for i'll try it for three years and go back to flipping <laughs> burgers maybe right i guess if it doesn't work out he's like no <laughs> when you commit to it you're committed to it period there's no other option um and with that you know they say luck and I had this very conversation with the Avery brothers again, with Dolph, their manager, when they agreed to come back and, and announce themselves during the pandemic when we had nothing. And I was like, well, God, we need a headliner to keep ticket sales going so we can survive this year coming up. Right. And the Averts were great. But Brian said, no, it, luck is what it's it's take, you know, being prepared and taking every opportunity, you know, mm -hmm. take every opportunity, be prepared because you're hungry for it. And the Averts had that, you know, and they played for free for quite, quite some time. And. And the manager was like, where are these entitled people coming from? They think just because they can play a good guitar, they think they, you know, are owed this or that. And it's like, mm -hmm. there's a lot of sacrifice and a lot of commitment and a lot of uh, relationship building to be done in order to make it in this industry. It's all part of the creative stew. Because we had to. Because I loved you Because the damned alcohol Because whatever at all It just sounds so real and not perfect, <laughs> you know? <laughs> That's what's cool about it. Oh, Dylan taught me that too, you know? Like, this is amazing, but it's like, oh, 
that could be quite <laughs> it kind of reminds me of Gogo Bordello. But like Modest Mouse. Yeah. Violent Femmes, maybe even? Yeah. Violent Femmes, definitely. Because we had to. That's great. Because we had to. Man, that was uh, I. I never heard that song before. Oh, I've heard it. I, I remember them playing it live before, and it's. I was. It's always just a fun song, and you're right. Definitely violent fans. Uh, definitely yeah. have a taste of that. Uh, that's what. That's what grabbed me. That track, man, on the yeah. Cabin Stage Mill Fest, like 1999. I don't even know. 2000. Yeah. I, I can't remember. Dude. Uh, it was a long time ago. <laughs> Blackbeard 1680 <laughs> said that they were uh, uh, in a punk band before going Americana, and you could definitely tell. Oh, I wonder. Yeah. I want to listen to that band. Check it out. That, that band must rip the punk band they were <laughs> yeah. in before they did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I remember listening to it once. I was like, okay, yeah, these guys are real. <laughs> yeah, I grew. I grew up in the punk rock scene. That's what right. I did. That's what my first earliest love was. Was you know playing a lot of garage thrash punk, crazy man. Yeah, yeah, and sometimes we have conversations on this show about how the more perfect that things get, the more sterile that they can get too. Especially, for example, whether a drummer chooses to play to a click or not, because mm -hmm. it, you know you get rid of like that natural like ebb and flow of tempo if it's all like a solid thing, right? And I feel like some genres it lends itself, you know, like if you're playing like electronic thing. But I feel like a lot of the times, like especially like the Avid Brothers, really, really show like the merits of like keeping things original and authentic and not perfect, and it doesn't have to be quantized and like oh we should redo that vocal because you just weren't strong enough there, right? <laughs> it's like that's what was captured in the moment, and that's what's important for them. And I feel like they did a really, really good job of capturing this moment that they really wanted to bring for us. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, the Grateful Dead. How many train wrecks did they have, man, on the pursuit of not being perfect? And then when they hit it, it's just like yeah, brilliant. you know, well, it's that's, beautiful. That's what's so endearing about jam bands, right? Is because uh, you never know what's going to happen. Like a lot of bands, they literally play the same songs in the same order for 50 nights, you know what I mean, on a tour. And, uh, you know, but jam bands, it's what's so exciting is that, yeah, it could fail, but when it succeeds, that's, you know, why people go and travel to see them mm -hmm. everywhere. Just like a festival. <laughs> yeah. Just like a festival. Just like a festival. And the thing is, the thing is about jam bands, too. This close to failing. <laughs> things about jam bands and about festivals, too. It's, it, it, it's not only the bands that, that make it happen and make it special. It's the people that go to the festivals, the people that are right. listening to the music. Because with jam bands, when you're doing those jams, and if the audience isn't with you, they tend to kind of fade out. But if the audience is feeding you back energy, that loop that continues is when something special happens, you know? Synergy, magic. That's where the magic is, man, yeah. in that little zone. I always ask myself, who do I want to invite to my backyard party, barbecue? Yeah, because, uh, you know, one thing is that, for example, me and EJ, when we threw our festival, it was a small little couple thousand person thing at a brewery. And I had maybe four or 500 bands reach out to me. Mm -hmm. And so we can't imagine the unsolicited uh, <laughs> inquiries that your your team is inundated right. with. And then also at the same time, trying to figure out 
how to best serve those underrepresented bands while also bringing in headliners that bring in the type of crowd that you want to keep that magic and keep things going. It must be such a fine dance that you have to, you know, every single time. And I know, for example, that when I, I made a mistake of telling people that I booked the show and some of my best friends who have played music that we've played together and we're like brothers, I, for whatever reason, didn't choose to book them and they still don't talk to me to this day. And so it must be really, really difficult for you to keep, you know, uh those uh you know uh connections with people and also trying to maintain you know having the best festival that you can it must be really difficult it's it's a balancing act you know that's this this is a great conversation you know it's it's funny you know agents work i work primarily with agents and of course a lot of like you know up and coming bands reach out directly to me i used to like respond to every single inquiry I, I just felt like it was important because I love musicians so much yeah. and the music industry so much that I felt like I had to. It was my obligation. It's impossible to do that. And it's hard. Some agents are really aggressive and really weird when it right. comes to, you know, forcing mm-hmm. and then mm-hmm. manipulating the conversation, gaslighting. I mean, this is the dark side to the business as well. Um, you just have to, I think, me, I just keep my focus on what kind of program I'm trying to develop and just try to be as cool as possible. I definitely don't burn bridges, but I don't respond to everyone. It's, it's just impossible. And a lot of bands, yeah, like, you know, screw that promoter for not booking my band and how dare him, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. well, there in lies your answer is probably to why I don't want to work with you. <laughs> yeah people need to play the long game and playing yeah. the long game cool isn't here, getting man. pissed off that you don't play the first show and even if you don't play any right. show maybe there's other opportunities that could come you just got to play the long game and i feel like people forget right, that man. especially when you have a uh, transient booking agents that are getting paid commission that aren't really connected with you know the scene or the band that they're uh you know playing with right and so uh, it yeah. can be really really hard when they jump in and kind of ruin it for everybody mm-hmm yeah, man, it's tricky. You know, hey. we're all human here. Let's not forget that element. That's why right. we got into music to begin with. We love the human connection here. Uh, we got a question from the chat for you um, from Blackbeard sixteen eighty. Wanted to know. Uh, he says I've always wanted to hold a music festival in my city. What are the major obstacles you encounter in the beginning stages of planning? Money. Yeah. <laughs> get a get a get get your money understand your ordinances you know that kind of thing uh, and understand what it is you're trying to say a festival is not just about throwing a bunch of bands up um uh, a perfect example i was called to a, a festival summit back in the day i think it was it was like in the 2000s and it was up at niagara falls and topper john topper mo's manager and, and a bunch of other people i want to say shapiro was there too for relics or whatnot but uh, Tim Walther for all good. And it was just a bunch of people, right? And we were gathered there and 10,000 Lakes. You remember that festival? You guys yes. at all? Oh, yeah. I do remember. Mm-hmm. Okay. They had a huge lineup and that promoter was there and they tanked and they, they, they failed to, to answer dude's question here. Um, they were like, how did we fail with, you know, Trey Anastasia and Dave Matthews and panic and all these huge bands. And here I was a little budget, you know, a little engine. Boy, fast! How are you guys surviving having Blues Traveler as a headliner? <laughs> they all looked at me. I was just like, I was like, well, you know, what is it you're trying to say? I think the element of understanding your budgets and not going way over the top, but also what message are you sending out? You know, be aware of who you're speaking to and why. 
I think that's that's the number one thing I figured out when I got into being a festival promoter. Obviously, you don't want to burn any bridges. You want to make sure that you're tight with your 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 officials. Your you know, don't be afraid to ask questions and, and dive into the necessary EMS that that is needed, the security and law enforcement that's needed. You know, cross your T's and dot your I's, but you'd be amazed at what you can get away with with just pure passion. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> um, <laughs> exactly. So yeah, just know know what it is you're saying and why and to who. Thank you. I think the most important thing. Thank you very, very much for that. Um, EJ, why don't you talk about the next song? Sure. I'm going to listen to some Ray LaMontagne. You like Ray? You listen to a lot of Ray? Love Ray. All right. Love Ray. I had him uh, back in 2013. Awesome. Well, um, this is from his album, Supernova. I went to see him for this tour, and it wasn't as well recepted accepted by his uh, fans as his earlier work to a point of kind of lunacy. But um, back in 1965, yeah. Bob Dylan faced the same thing when he went electric, right? At the Newport Folk Festival, people booed him. People were real mean to him in the audience. And like, I don't like that you're not playing your solo acoustic shows, Bob Dylan, you know. And he was just like, you know, whatever, and then went on with his life. But um, Rayleigh Montaigne, like, uh, kind of suffered. I remember seeing him at the Sandwich Center uh, here in Virginia Beach, and people were like, just kept yelling, like, Jolene, and wanted to hear these. What year know. was this? Uh, it was probably around 2014. 2015. That's what I thought. This is the album he came to Floyd Fest with. Yeah, and people went, and it was it was 14 is when it was. Yeah. Right? Yep. People yep, really gave yep. him a hard time about it to the point where he was not well the, received. Yeah. He oh. would say on stage, he'd be like, you know, I know you want to hear those songs and then, you know, aren't you tired of hearing Isn't those? that crazy that you need like a preface yeah. to, about your fans, you know, right. to, but it just goes to show like, what is a band is the right. band, the music or is the band, the people that's in it. Right. And sometimes it can be one or the other. And I feel like people get that confused because it's really like a promise. And when you fundamentally change what your band's all about, you're kind of changing what that promise is right i mean he did change the sound he was wanting to experiment did. just like every other musician though likes to do that so you uh, either have musicians like um that stay that toe the line and keep it and never go off the formula and they you know acdc example right acdc is acdc they've been acdc from the beginning to the end uh. acdc is acdc they are like our friend said which is you know kind of that 2 a.m taco bell music yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. That's two AM Taco Bell. You listen to ACDC, but no, it's necessary, right? Man. But you know, there's other bands out there that like to stretch their wings. Radiohead being example, and also like people like Rainley Montaigne who wanted to, you know, I'm listening to different things. Things are inspiring me. I want to do something different. But I went to the show as a kind of I listened to him, but wasn't like a total huge fan of him. But I really just wanted to go see him, uh, see what he was all about in concert. And I really enjoyed the show, and I thought the new album was awesome. And so we're just going to bring some of that today. So uh, we'll check it out. It's Ray LaMontagne, Supernova, here on Galaxy Jams Reacts. So you and me, we've been hanging out now. Ever since we were kids, just kicking around. It almost sounds like an indie band. 
Yeah, he's trying to go India. You know, it, it's exactly what I was thinking. He was in LA. Somehow he got influenced. Sounds more commercial. Yeah, man. But I like it. Doesn't sound bad. It just sounds different. You know, I have to admit, and I guess we're being honest on this show, right? When I booked him this year, I was booking him on the premise of his older sound. Uh-huh. And I remember feeling incredibly disappointed when this album came out after the fact. I heard he's, he had this new album coming out. I will never book an artist without listening to their album first. So I know what they're going to be playing on the next tour. Right. But um, I was disappointed, I remember. When I think I'm about to hit the wall Oh, baby, I know that you are now Again, when I went to go see him, I did enjoy his older music, which to me was like, you know, Otis Redding uh, kind of had an Otis yeah. Redding kind of sound to it. Very, very Good 60s time. Motown kind of sound to it. Um, but, you know, this is kind of the Van Morrison kind of thing, you know? I don't know. I didn't. I didn't find it. Um, What's so different about this than his other music? Like, I mean, what we, is his other music? I don't. I'm not really familiar with him, like really at all. It's just a different sound, you know. I mean, yeah, he had more. Crying, of, man. Yeah, it, it was, was very raspy. real passionate. Um, Incredibly like passionate, Tom, like Tom Waits. Yeah, uh, not no, not Tom that. Waits, who not, has a bit of satire to him. Not drunk. No. Oh, oh, okay. Uh, <laughs> oh my God! No, I love no how you guys said like the same thing. <laughs> not not uh, drunk singing in the alley. Oh, uh, which I do like. No, very so soulful and heartfelt. <laughs> yeah, very soulful, very, very heartfelt. Soulful. More of a Motown R and B sound. Um, and this is just I I you know to me it's more of like a sixties seventies uh, Van Maybe Morrison. in a hip LA nightclub will do yeah. it to you guys, but. Sounds I like it has polish. It. Sounds like it has a polish to it. Yeah, it is very yeah. it's polished. It's not the acoustic driven thing. It's totally different. Um, I while I was watching it, while I was on stage, I really, really enjoyed it, and I really liked it. And I thought his fans uh, were acting performer. like he was. They were acting like children. You know, yeah, they were it's like hard, stomping their man. feet. Uh, it was crazy. I mean, it be it was like half the audience was for him and half the audience was against That's him. That's so there. weird. I've never That's, been to any show, right? Like that and it was like life. literally there were points and times in between the songs that part of the audience was yelling at the other audience to shut up. Crazy. It was crazy. Exactly what happened at Floyd in 2014. Yeah. That you that you just eloquently laid it down is what happened. That's yeah. exactly what happened. I think it's difficult. You know, it reminds me going back to the artist side of things and yet despite the fan reaction because you're going to love an artist or right. judge the hell out of an artist or whatnot but right tyler childers you know tyler childers came out writing these incredible songs and his latest stuff you know i think some of these artists like tyler like ray mm-hmm. they wrote these songs in a time period that was a stretched out time period that were incredibly 
you know, enriching experiences in their lives and they were able yeah. to write these amazing songs. And maybe they, after that experience is done and they're thrown into the stage and the whole business realm, they, they don't have the time to, to, you know, curate those same level of songs. Maybe I don't, I don't know. It could be. Yeah, I can see that. I don't know the, um, you know, for me, I've, I've always been, uh, um, unless it's just, uh, not a good song, uh, which I think this is still a good song. If you just took it, it is, you know, took mm-hmm. it for a song. I always give myself time if I really like an artist, right? So to to kind of see where they're going and kind of move along with them. If I really, really enjoy that artist as a person, I guess you could say. Yeah, I mean, you got to be a fan of them, right? right? And I feel like the only reason that people care is because of how passionate they are, which is what you want anyway. Because yeah. if no one gave you know cared then no one would care like if you changed your sound people wouldn't be you know yelling in the audience about it they're only yelling because they really love you and they really care and feel entitled to a certain promise right entitled to a promise but he was like you know he'd be like you know i'm getting to the song you know it'll come yeah it'll come at some point but you know i've still never heard of that of any band he did he did the same thing (laughs) what happened to to jolene just chill out right it happened to him also in san diego there's a article about it that i was reading uh, about the whole instance of it but um this out record was produced by dan arbuck of the black keys so that could have been some of it as well he went to a different producer and and you know dan That's arbuck exactly was like right. you know do this well i mean that kind of happened to dave matthews band when they went with the pr- producer for aerosmith for that one album and it was not a good album in, in my opinion i can't remember what the album was i can't remember the guy's name right now i used to know it off the top of my head it can be but, really uh, hard because when you're successful and then that opens up like so many doors for you right and so yeah. like you want you look at something as like an opportunity and, like, exactly or maybe like a chance to like break out and do something new and you're in la so you have all these like successful people telling you like stuff that sounds like it could be a good idea and it's mm-hmm. really hard to like you know pick your your opportunities while still staying true to yourself or still staying true to like what people think is your yourself right because he's obviously right. doing what he wants to do yeah absolutely and he even stated how he you know he puts himself out on his sleeve and when he was trying to write other things he was felt like he was banging his head against the wall and this is the stuff that was coming out you know of, of him as an artist and that's what he wanted to do so Like that part of the song is just really, really good. You know, it's a good Van Morrison type of feel to it. Nice. The video is cute. 
mean, it really is. And I, I relate to it. I get what he's saying. So, yeah. you know, but being falling in love and feeling young again, man, it's like incredible the way it feels. I get it. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's good. It's it's weird though, man. It's like sometimes it works and sometimes it didn't. In his case, yeah. it just didn't work. It's yeah. hard, you know. You can sometimes be your own worst enemy, and maybe it would have been better if he just like rebranded under like a different thing and put that out instead, and then still kept what he was doing and the new thing separate. Right. You know, right, right. Because like his Garth brand Brooks. was so strong with Jolene, that was his brand. Like, right. you talking about like doing a Chris Smithers thing, like uh, Garth Brooks did? Wasn't it Chris Smithers or what was his like alter ego he did for like one album? Well, that's yeah, alter yeah. egos. That's like what David <laughs> Bowie did. Oh, David Bowie, yeah, he completely. You know, he made like whole different personas and stuff. He was still so David Bowie. Though. There's nothing wrong with people like reinventing Master of it, you know? Ziggy Stardust, yeah. Man. Yeah. Great. So uh, before we move on to the next one, I do have one more question for you, Chris. So hmm. uh, I want to know. Okay, can't barefoot. Uh, one of the things I learned is how Scott operated during the show. So from my understanding, what he would do is he literally would stay in the same place, a cabin away from everything. And he would have Craig, his number two, liaison all of the information and things that was going on. And even though he would have a couple breaks, he'd be able to leave and go watch a show or something. He mainly stayed put in the same place and had a number two essentially absorb the outside world and be the broker between, you know, what was going on in the decisions right so during the actual show what do you do so it, it's kind of changed over the years um now that i have a, a an established system but we just moved sites we're moving sites and so now i'm gonna have to redo it again but for years what i would do and this is no joke I would literally have my head down looking at every single detail going to every single stage production area front box office the ethers of the parking and camping the village the fire pit the barn the backstage vip i mean i was that kind of guy like not micromanaging but just having my eyes and ears directly involved with every single element quality mm -hmm. control you know just making sure that this, no one was fucked up on the job or that the colors were right or the staging looked proper there wasn't a janky tarp hanging over this way maybe those picnic tables needed to be you know turned and create a feng shui and a vibration so i did that for years and i would just do loops so you might be have physically walking around physically oh, going physically in. walking around man just doing the loop of the entire festival all day every day just physically walking being a presence you know? that's what yeah, we would being do a presence Wait, that's yeah, what we man, would do ej yeah, you want to have your finger on the pulse of what's going on with your show, right? Well, so. I think the thing, too, is being a presence uh, in a situation like that is keeping people on their toes, too. Like, everybody you have doing, you know, what you're that doing. As well. Like, They're you like, oh, God, here comes, yeah. here comes Chris. You never know when Chris is going <laughs> to sneak up behind you. Well, it can, it can also <laughs> work enough. the other way, too, because I feel like one of the reasons why you fall in love with an event is because you know the people that are throwing it. Mm -hmm. And I feel like when you're there and mm -hmm. people get to see you and they're like, have you been since last mm -hmm. year? And you're shaking hands and kissing babies. Mm -hmm. It's like people like especially with VIP people. Yeah. Right. They personally, you know, connect with you. And that's like a gateway to connecting to the event. Mm hmm. Absolutely. Well said, man. It's really important um, for that. And, you know, nowadays I kind of chill a little bit more. I learned to actually start to enjoy the festival. <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's um, the thing is it's not a fun thing to do. So, like, it, it's, it's fun. A lot, and of, a lot it, of pressure. It's, it's kind of fun, but 
it's fun afterwards and thinking about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, leading yeah, yeah. up to it, it's it's it could be it's you're just like whole, you're just like literally crossing your fingers yeah. and nothing goes wrong. And uh, oh I, my god, I also feel like you know like you replay the festival a billion times in yes. your head. So by the time you get to the festival, it just passes by like a dream because mm-hmm. you've already done it in your head like a hundred million times plus you're living off of four hours of sleep yeah yeah (laughs) yeah it's bittersweet too i i every year still to this day i'm like man i'm here and it's going to be over in five days really right what a bummer i just want it to last forever that's why next year's theme is going to suggest that so i like changing the theme every year keep people i notice that you do that it's very very another conversation topic yeah man it's like an album you want to create it fresh i think in today's world especially People's attention spans. You want to, you mm. got to give them something fresh. So they're like, oh, I ain't getting no oh, It's a new festival that's called this. <laughs> right, or, right, right. Like Ray Lamontagne, if he would have created an alter ego, it could have kept things fresher and kind of diverted the attention away from whatever. Thank you, know. you so much for that expertise. We really appreciate it. We're going to be listening to another pick by our very special guest, Floyd Fest producer and curator, Chris Hodges, right after this. So the On the Rise series at Floyd Fest is incredibly important to the lifeblood of the event and why we do what we do. Because as I mentioned earlier, uh, the festival was started on the premise to give up and coming bands a chance to perform in a uh, high capacity audience high quality production situation so this next band we and we do the on the rise series competition that you know the patrons get to vote on and this band won in 2021 and i've noticed a shift and a trend happening right now the nashville sound the red dirt sound is really really well received in southwest virginia (laughs) uh being in you know proximity to nashville i go to nashville a lot and i'm really connected with a lot of the scene and the music's coming out of there um and 49 represents i think some of the best in what this this genre of of, of music is requiring in, in authenticity and a bit of a country sound but more authentic and not polished i think these guys i thought they were out of richmond but they that, that they might not be they might be down in north carolina or something or um uh uh what's what's the border town bristol or something like that right but yeah bristol. they came in and uh, they just killed it with a really authentic, almost Tyler Childers-esque, but just soulful country rock. And they were the winners of the On the Rise series in 2021. They signed with uh, New West Records that, that very year. Um, backstage, there's a lot of buzz. So the timing was perfect. And, and having them uh, at that time and represented at Floyd Fest and winning the series was was perfect and they're doing really well now uh they came and played uh last year and they sounded even better so they are definitely on the rise and they're going to do great 49 winchester i love them great great performers and great songwriters all right well let's check it out here in galaxy jams reacts this is 49 winchester from their album fortune favors the bold released this year all i need it's a great album name dude yeah more branding Mark. Mm-hmm. They have a great team behind them. And the guys get along, man. It's a great band. Boy, do they sound good. I couldn't believe the difference between when they were there as on the rise. And this I got a real good woman and a pretty good dog. The 
don't shit in the house. <laughs> I'm in a traveling band with some pretty good pickers. And only one of them snores aristocrat as a mouse. Well, packed into this van like sardines inside a can. That's the only life that I want to leave. Awesome. What we're talking about. Like how the van's smoking, that's so funny. <laughs> Life on the road, baby. <laughs> <laughs> the attachment you grow. You gotta grow. get along or you're not, man. Yeah. We ain't got no hits, but we sell a few tickets. And it seems like a lot to a guy like me. That ain't never had nothing but a dream and a guitar. This road dog itch won't quit bothering me. Oh, packed into this van like sardines inside a can. That's the only life that I want to leave. Well, I love home, but the road's got all I need. The attachment you can form with your van, too, when you're driving down the road doing all that kind of stuff is... uh is uh, Dude, a thing of people beauty. name it. Yeah, people name it. It's a dance. thing of beauty. Man. It is a thing of beauty. <laughs> you learn your real family. You, know? you, you have a family outside of your like your mom and dad. And yeah, your regular family. Absolutely. This is such a wonderful track to be like here on. This is like the our whole conversation has mm-hmm. been what they're singing about. This mm-hmm. is incredible. And just the just what bands go through on the road and what they. You know, go through to to get an audience and how much they actually, I mean, you got to really, in a band, people in a band really, really, really do appreciate their audience. And that's the thing is like, they got to want it. Every single person that's there staring back at them is a treat, you know, I've always said, you know, I don't care if I play a place with 50 people or 100 people or 1000 people or 3000 people. If they're engaged, it's 50 people engaged with me and I'm in front of 3000 people who aren't. I'd rather play in front of the 50 people who are engaged. Right. You want to absolutely. Yeah. So it's even. I used to say one person. If I <laughs> yeah, just one person. Yeah, like, one person that, that you moved them, oh, you know? Yeah. yeah. And yeah. Um, it's yeah. always a thrill I'm to play something like that. Service. But yeah, so I really like that you give those bands that chance, you know? Um, and, and that's something I've always... to me, man. I always thought about, like, with, uh, you know, places around here, Mike and I have many discussions about it, where, like, if they would just let us open up for one of those bands, you know what I mean? the crowd would love us, you know, but it's like trying to get in there to do it. It's a very hard thing. Yeah. And, uh, actually, you know, at one point in my life, I actually wanted to start a blog and uh, I bought the domain sitting in a van.com, uh, because, and it was going to be, uh, interviewing musicians because I remember I used to say like, I would be like at a show or at a festival and someone be like, Oh, are you in a band? I'm like, yeah, I love sitting in a van. You like sitting in a van too. (laughs) Cool. We should hang out. You know, like it was a joke I would say, because when you're in a band, you're, you're pretty much, sitting in a van more yeah. than you're doing anything Ooh, you know good lord man. the road <laughs> goes on forever don't it yeah, yeah exactly and um i also really like uh one thing i was thinking about while listening to this band is how it's a new age thing where musicians are talking more about simple slice of life mm-hmm. situations mm-hmm. in their music like we were listening to thundercat and he was singing a song about like uh, cheetos right well, well, i think that was mono yes. neon and thundercat was thinking talking about his dragon ball do rag right. or we were listening to domi and jd beck and they were singing a song that was kind of like 
like that too. And I feel like it's kind of this shift towards really, really simple, easy slice of life things to understand, simple concepts that people can kind of bring into their everyday life. And I think that 49 Winchester is doing a great job of bringing that movement into their genre. Well said. I think people search for a real connection in today's world. Yeah. Yeah. And it's changed, you know, like now people are talking about like, oh, you know, like I Instagrammed this girl and then Mm. like, you know, I went down to McDonald's and got that right. And it didn't used to be like that. Uh, I feel like bands like before they started talking about very grand ideas and then it started with like, you know, those emo bands like My Chemical Romance where Mm -hmm. they started talking about like their feelings and like their problems. And then I feel like this is now like another shift where it's like talking about simple slice of life things that anyone can identify with like nowadays a hit song should be like swiping right all night right exactly <laughs> i see exactly. myself sitting here swiping exactly. right exactly people like they they want to hear about what they're dealing with now right you know what's like today the life you know what i mean and i feel like uh 49 winchester is doing a great job i feel like anyone that's ever done any kind of mm-hmm. anything in music can readily identify with oh, what yeah. they're talking about right now Accessibilities work. Especially in this genre. Packed into this van like sardines inside a can. That's the only life that I want to lead. If you talk to these guys in real life, they're good. Totally unpretentious. Like, yeah, working on the roads hard, man, but we love it. Things looking up. Like a big high profile festival. You're up here at Coachella. I'm up. Nice. Like spring or whatnot. Yeah. Or stagecoach, rather. <laughs> Their van is just getting all smoked out. You know. I, I think it circles back to that conversation we were having about jazz music and about prog music where it's really hard to like stick to that genre and not seem pretentious. And I feel like with country music, it's so hard to do polished country music without sticking to the same tropes, like talking about blue jeans and like your truck and those things that are like tired and true. You were talking about jam bands and how a lot of them do like formulaic things, right? And I feel like country music is kind of the same thing where people easily fall into those like same tropes that have made other people very successful and i think that 49 winchester is doing a great job of bringing that like nashville classic and polished new age sound while also keeping away from like those classic tropes that made those other people very famous because they want to have like their own legacy and i think they're doing a really good job with this song so you know if, if i had it my way i'd probably do a whole festival of afrobeat and some crazy esoteric avant-garde Afro jazz, of some <laughs> right? <laughs> but I love all music. I come from a strong jam background, as well as a strong appreciation for songwriters and um, uh, Appalachian music. You know, so Floyd Fest has really morphed into showcasing an unpretentious side to country music and jam music, and that is really our brand, and that's what we try to bring. 
um, to our audiences in Southwest Virginia, the Blue Ridge Mountains, and it seems to really work. It's kind of cool. You know, we've been listening to like 49 Winchester and kind of dissecting that and their unpretentious authenticity with their sound that they have and like twangy, but it's like quality and they're uh-huh. along. And then the jam band world, it's the same thing, you know, listening to Panic and and um, having uh, access to understanding what makes a good jam band, you know, and it's all about the communal vibe on both ends. And they both happen to work really well in Southwest Virginia oh, geographically, yeah. you know, and, you know, back to that Blackbeard's question earlier, you know, I'm going into a city. Well, understand what that city's music preference is because if you right. want to sustain yourself, you got to have to figure that out, man. So Floyd Fest has turned into that. It's a, it's, it's an unpretentious, you know, quality red dirt country nashville mixed with jam it's a really cool thing who's the most important person in the city to connect with if you want to do a festival usually (sighs) probably your board of supervisors start there man whatever official is on the on the chair there who's representing that that's what you want to do yeah because you gotta you gotta convince them that you really bring a lot of value to Mm -hmm. you know their location and it's not just money Mm -hmm. you got to be part of the culture and i feel like when people look up like if they go to Mm floydva.com there's no way that people aren't going to find out about your event and i feel like that's a really good move that you did was name it after the area and really grow like have the whole area grow around you you Mm -hmm. know and uh it's a really really wonderful thing uh you really put on one of the most uh well-run events like that i've ever seen online and i love how like even like people like all across the country i feel like knows like the artists that you're putting on and things like that and you should really be proud of yourself because people can see how hard you work on the branding and then also the day of show thing and it seems that you're doing a really really good job and i know that me and my girlfriend are going to do the very best job we can to see uh how we can make it out to floyd fest uh next year Good. Thank you for all that, Michael. You know, it's it's true. It's a labor of love. I think if you're going to do anything and persevere through the hard times and the crises and the what ifs and the unknowns, you got to really love it. Um, So, yeah, it means a lot to us to be able to connect with people. I think that's the whole reason why we do what we do. Hopefully we can make money at it. We do okay. Um, I wouldn't say we're running to Barbados anytime soon and jumping in the (laughs) villa, but um you know we get right. to do what oh we my love. god that sounds and so they- much fun i want to go to barbados and jump in the villa <laughs> that's <laughs> what i want we do that probably but we have to get a team together man. yeah <laughs> spread, the, spread the the pressure yeah the, the, the economic load on that thing right but yeah dude it's a labor of love you know and and it, it means a lot i have children i want to make sure that children feel safe in a world that's already scary as, as can be and you know, might as well represent being an adult. Where are the elders in our societies that have like a lot of confidence and cool about them? You know, and mm-hmm. I think providing a space for children as well, you know, young and old. <laughs> um, and that's what Floyd Fest is all about. Yeah. And that's the one thing that's great about Floyd Fest, too, is the family atmosphere that you've been able to curate there. Right. Yeah, man. It's important, you yeah, know, because I'm like- I had kids. I want to go to a festival and still be able to be myself but make sure my kids are safe and having a good you know enriching time as well mm-hmm. yeah because one thing we were talking about uh before the sh- uh you know right before the show started is how music festivals can inherently be an adult uh activity and so for you to be able to take uh that classic jam band psychedelic camp out experience and make it family friendly but also make it that people aren't driven away by that at the in fact like they want it i know some people that literally they work all year and they save up all year just 
just to go to one festival, right? And I'm sure that there are so many families that choose yours. And it's like for them to have so much trust in your team and in your production, in your music taste and the entire everything about what's going on, you should be really, really proud of yourself that you're able to make such a safe space and, you know, a vacation that so many people desperately need, especially in, uh, you know, these trying times. Well, it's true, man. An authentic community experience, I think, is what we're all searching for. You mm-hmm. know, it's hard in these trying times where everyone's so div- divided and <laughs> a safe space with thousands of people with the soundtrack of incredible music and, you know, the backdrop of an incredible, you know, ecosystem of the Blue Ridge Mountains and, and making sure that safety is a priority, but like not crazily enforced. We give away free water. We provide, you know, things that aid to the experience rather than just milk the experience. And, and right. I think that's important. It's, just, it's, it's sustained us for 23 years, man. You know, um, if I wasn't able to, you know, put steak on my plate, uh, I probably wouldn't be doing it still because I wouldn't be able to, I'd have to figure something else out. So it does work. You know, and someone, uh, a younger person was showing me a school in the Midwest. It was like a country, but it was like, they were like, look, you have a lot of kids. They kept saying, I was like, yeah. It's like, why are you showing all the kids? You know, it's like, well, cause we're a family kind of event. It's kind of important to us. And she was showing me this other festival and these frat boys, you know, nothing against frat boys and sororities, but these people were MTV spring break. Just, you know, yeah, it was yeah, just yeah. like, I mean, that's not what we're about, man. <laughs> you know? right. That's, that kind of you have to stay true to what you know where your integrity is and and it was never about being the flashiest and all that and speaking to like the realness that little bit of rawness man it's more important to me than having everything perfect you know um i know that i speak for a lot of people that your vision and experience will continue to endure the test of time and we all hope that there can be many many more floyd fests in the future for everybody to enjoy and uh Amen. we just want to thank all of uh, our fans for watching we yeah. want to thank every single person in the chat that you guys are able to uh, let us know what you think of the music i want to do a good job of thanking my amazing co-host and partner ej well thank you mike i want to do a good job of thanking EJ, myself thanks. And uh, I also want to thank our amazing guest, Chris Hodges, the creator and producer of Floyd Fest. Thank you so much for taking the time to come and listen to music with us. We hope that in the future we can work our hardest uh, to see how we can listen to music together again in the future. Hey, my pleasure. It's been a great time, guys. Thank you very, very much. All right. And uh, we will see you guys soon on the next episode of Galaxy Jams. See you then. Have a great one.